Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. This is Bob Rathman greeting you from Atlanta. And we'd like to remind you that, as always, our podcast is brought to you by Warner, the official sponsor of the Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year Awards and the official ladder of professional contractors everywhere. Warner, the number one pro ladder. Step up your game with Warner Ladder. Go to stepupwithwarner.com to learn more. Tuesday night, Stanford's Tara Vandeveer, a two-time Warner Ladder Naismith Coach of the Year winner, became the winningest women's college coach of all time after Stanford won at Pacific. Career win number 1,099 pushed Tara one ahead of the late Pat Summit of Tennessee. We send along our congratulations to Coach Vandeveer. As the college basketball world cheers Tara this week, we are also saddened to learn of the passing of Sue Donahoe at the age of 61 after a brief illness. Sue was a former director of both the women's and the men's NCAA Division I basketball tournaments. She was named part of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2020, but that ceremony was postponed due to the pandemic. After a career in coaching and administration, she joined the NCAA in 1999, and for eight seasons, she was the vice president of women's basketball and is the former director of the Yao Cancer Fund. Time for our Jersey Mike's news and notes. In the top 25, number 18, San Diego State had the biggest jump, climbing six spots after beating the number 23 then-ranked Arizona State Sun Devils. And number 15, Florida State, jumped five spots, while number 14, Texas Tech, matched West Virginia's rise of three spots. Florida State dropped its ACC opener the past three seasons, but this time, the defending league champions got the conference schedule started off right. Freshman guard Scotty Barnes scored 14 of his 16 after halftime, and the 15th-ranked Seminoles pulled away midway through the second half to beat Georgia Tech 74-61 on Tuesday night. In the Big Ten, Kofi Cockburn dropped a career-high 33 as number 13 Illinois opened their conference play in the Big Ten with a 92-65 blowout of Minnesota. Our Citizen What to Watch for this week. Citizen, the official watch of the Naismith Trophy. Citizen EcoDrive watches are sustainably powered by light and never need a battery. Big one coming up in Lubbock on Thursday as number 5 Kansas plays at number 14 Texas Tech. Sunday, number 13 Illinois goes that away to Piscataway to meet unbeaten and 19th ranked Rutgers. Ron Harper Jr. scored 19 of his 27 Monday night. The Scarlet Knights whip Maryland 74 60. It marked the first time that Rutgers has won its Big Ten opener, and they won at Maryland, the defending conference co-champs. The Scarlet Knights had not won a Big Ten opener since joining the league in 2014 and were 16-73 and in conference play before going 11-9 and last season. My guest this week is ESPN's lead college basketball play-by-play man, Dan Shulman. I'll chat with the former National Sportscaster of the Year in a moment, but first, this from Jersey Mike's. Good things come to those who wait. At Jersey Mike's, they also come to those who don't. Download our app, order ahead, and skip the line. Cut to the Chase by Jersey Mike's. Be a sub above. A thrill to be checking in with Dan Shulman of ESPN. And Dan is one of our Naismith voters, and we thank you, Dan, for doing all that for us. How are you? How are you holding up through the pandemic, brother? <laughs> Good to talk to you, Bob. Good to hear your voice. Uh, I'm doing all right, you know, like everybody, uh, you know, just trying to figure out things until whenever the time comes that we can kind of get back to normal. But I- I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm in Charlotte right now. I've called a couple of games for ESPN from a studio here. I've called a couple on site. 
I've had a couple get canceled, you know, so it's uh, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Right now. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, calling games at home or in a studio. Uh, for our fans that are listening to this podcast, this is a very different way that they're having their games delivered. Uh, what has the reaction been, first of all, from the fans that you've spoken to, and then how has it been for you? What adjustments have you had to make? Right. So I've had a few different situations. So it began for me back during the baseball season, and I called every Toronto Blue Jays game from a studio in Toronto. They played their home games in Buffalo because of the border restrictions. So they couldn't be in Canada. And if we went down to Buffalo to call the home games, when they went on the road, we weren't allowed to go with them, and we couldn't go back to Canada without quarantine. So we were really caught in kind of a unique spot. So we did all 60 games from a studio in Toronto, and our crew there did an unbelievable job uh, of making it the best it could be. It, it's the kind of place, like, if you ever wanted a man cave, this is the this is the studio to have. Every monitor, huge monitors. But there are some things you just can't see as well. You know, if there are a couple of runners on and a guy hits one into the gap, you know, normally you look out at the field and you can see where's the relay going, is this runner stopping or being waved, and you just can't see all that on a couple of monitors. So you have to guess or delay or adjust or or hope for the best sometimes. So, But I, I think our, our viewers from everything that I gathered were were really pleased. And I think, you know, like all of us, we everybody was just so happy to get sports back, right, that um, they were happy to get the games. Then my next situation was calling the MLB playoffs for ESPN Radio, and I did that from Bristol, Connecticut. So I was in kind of a smaller radio studio, similar setup, but everything on a smaller basis, smaller monitors and so forth. And, and again, took some getting used to, and you're relying on what you're getting from a TBS or a Fox to see everything that you need to see. And then now for ESPN College Basketball, like I said, I've done a couple on site. I've done a few from Charlotte, which is a different situation even, and I haven't done any from home yet, but they're installing a kit in my house next week when I go back home. And I think I'll do some from home for a few weeks, and then they'll decide if I'm coming back to the U.S. to be on site or if I'm going to continue from home. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same. It's not as good, but it, it beats the alternative, which is not doing games. And you just have to get comfortable in your new surroundings and realize what you can do and what you can't do. So when is the last time you've been home? Uh, I was home, uh, well, I left home November 27th, I believe it was, to start the college basketball season. So, again, I'm in a tricky spot being Canadian. Um, Just about everybody else I know, they go to a game, and then they can go back home in between. And if their game gets canceled, they're at home. Um, So, for example, the last two games that I was supposed to do have been canceled, but I'm still in Charlotte because I have other games I'm supposed to do before I go home. So, um I was in Toronto the whole summer, either during the lockdown or then when the Blue Jays were playing. I was in Bristol for a month doing the baseball playoffs, then I went back home. And when I go back home, I have to quarantine for 14 days. I can't just go out to Starbucks or anything like that. So i gotta, I got to stay at home. And now I, it'll end up being about three weeks that I'll be on the road this time. And then I'm going to go home over the holidays, and then we'll figure it out after that. I promise, fans, we'll get to college basketball in just a second. But I have to ask you, Dan, what is the reaction in Toronto with the Blue Jays and the Raptors, and for some of it, uh, the Maple Leafs, being displaced? And uh, at least the hockey team could stay in, in Canada, but the other two teams are kicked out. What's the reaction up there for that? 
Um, I, I, it, this might surprise people to hear it now, but from what I can gather, almost entirely understanding and positive. Um, the the pandemic is a major issue in Canada, but we are fortunate that it is not uh, at the same levels as it is in the U.S. Um, but it, like I'm not downplaying it all. It's a major issue. Toronto is in lockdown right now. Some of the larger metropolitan areas are in lockdown. We are fully in the second wave, just like the U.S. is. But, I, I, again, I don't know whether our numbers are 30% lower, 50% lower, 60% lower, whatever it is. Um, they're still very significant. But uh, it's it's better, for lack of a better term, than it is in the U.S. And I think from that perspective, most Canadians say, you know what, that's got to be the focal point. And it was, you know, being close to the Blue Jays, being their announcer, it, it was hard on them. They didn't know where they were going to play right up to the start of the regular season. And then they played in a AAA facility that needed some modifications. And they were really on the road. They were on the road for 23 days between um, some exhibition games and then the beginning of the season before they knew they were going to play and they got Buffalo up to speed. So it was hard for them. And, and it's, you know, it'll be a challenge for the Raptors as well. I think it would be different, Bob, if – they were allowing fans in the stands. If they were allowing fans in the stands, then fans would say, come on, we're really missing out. But even if they were playing in Canada, there is no way they would allow fans in the stands right now. So it's just a different mentality. So if there are no fans in the stands, I think most people are saying, you know what, it's not ideal, but it's important to keep you know the border and the country as safe as possible so we get it. Well, one of the games that you did get to call was one of the best we've seen in this still young college season, and that's the Villanova-Texas game that you did with our good friend Fran Fraschilla. Uh, what a game. Um, gosh, it had a little bit of everything and a dramatic finish. What a whale of a win for Villanova, and what a game you got to call. Yeah, and, and that was one of the two, I guess, that I'd been on site for. We were down in Austin for that game, and I, I thought it was great. You know, you have to respect Villanova, obviously, Jay Wright, future Hall of Famer, two national championships recently. And you just can't make them do things they don't want to do. They're just going to keep being Villanova. They're going to be so sound fundamentally. They're going to move the ball. They're going to take good shots. Texas is a very talented team, and, and everybody back from last year. And then they, they had a, a really good-looking freshman in, in Greg Brown. And I thought that was a really good learning experience for the Longhorns. They hung with Villanova for, I don't know, 34, 35 minutes, whatever it was. And then Villanova just kind of was a little a little better at the end and, and wound up winning the game. One of the games that I had that was canceled that I was really it was supposed to be yesterday, um, losing track of the days and the time like all of us are. <laughs> right. But I was supposed to do Texas at Baylor from Charlotte, but I was supposed to do Texas at Baylor. And what a fun game that would have been. You know, you know, yeah. I mean, Baylor's as good as anybody in the country, right? Like they're, they are in the top tier of teams that could win a national championship this year if we get that far. So very disappointing that I, I didn't get to call that one. What was the other game you were on site for? Uh, I did Richmond at Kentucky uh, two weeks ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we were at Rupp Arena. I was with Jimmy Dykes. And uh, so both games that I've done on site, neither one has been down from court level, which, as you well know, is where people like you and I do virtually every single game that we do when we are at the arena. So I don't know what your situation has been, but for both of the ones that I've done on site, we've kind of been up um, in Kentucky. We were in a little, uh, I guess it's a little um, spillover press area or camera area. It's in the first row kind of of the upper deck in the corner. Nobody was within 50 feet of us. We had all kinds of space. Uh, 
Um, and then the one in Austin, we were actually in a private suite. Again, similar spot, uh, kind of just underneath the overhang of the upper deck in the corner um, of the arena. So, you know, a very diff- different vantage point. You and I are used to being right at midcourt. Um, but uh, in, in both instances, you know, we had monitors out in front of us, too. In case it was tough to see anything looking down at the court, we could glance at the monitor. Uh, we had a stats monitor. You know, we had most of what we needed. And truthfully, I find, having done both, um, I find basketball much easier to call off a monitor than baseball. Baseball, the ball can go a 100 different ways, and a 100 different things can happen, and there's so much more space out there to cover. Everything's a little bit more contained. Uh, in basketball, so whether we're in a different spot in the arena or calling it from a studio, it's been pretty manageable so far. Dan, I think a lot of sports fans uh, recognize you and that amazing voice of yours for the baseball coverage, but you over the you know the last decade plus have, have become college basketball uh, fans go to on ESPN with some of the top games. Uh, growing up in Canada and and not having the ex- collegiate experience like we have in this country with teams and, and whatnot, uh, you've really come to love the college basketball game, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And, and uh, for most of my life, more than the NBA. Uh, like if, if you go back to when I was a little kid, I, I, I followed the NBA a little bit, but it was a different time. You know, it, especially being in Canada, it wasn't like there were 20 games a week on TV out of the NBA or, or the college basketball. You know, it's – you know, young people today can just, you know, wish for whatever they wish for and find the game on TV somewhere. You and I didn't have that opportunity. So it was really when I was, um, I don't know, uh, well, 14, 15 years old, something like that. And, and my family, we took a trip over spring break down to Florida. My grandparents used to winter down in Florida. We went down there and it was the early eighties and everybody, okay, let's go to the pool or let's go to the beach. And I flipped on the TV on in, in whatever day it was, and it was wall-to-wall NCAA tournament coverage. And I said, I'll see you guys later. I'll be right here. And, and I just fell in love with college basketball. And as you remember, the 80s was such an incredible time. Um, you know, Michael Jordan shot in 82, uh, NC State Wolfpack in 83, Georgetown Villanova in 84. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, is that right? No, Georgetown winning in 84, Villanova over Georgetown in 85, you know, uh, um, Indiana winning at 87 on Keith Smart shot. Like every single year was just fantastic. I thought college basketball in the 80s, and I fell in love with it. So um, my first college basketball game for ESPN, um, hard for for me to say this out loud and believe it, was 1995. This is my 26th year doing wow. college basketball for ESPN, and I'm I'm feeling old as I say it, but um, <laughs> I've loved every second of it. You know, for uh, Canadian kid, uh, you know, who just loved basketball to wind up spending so much time at Kansas, and Duke, and Michigan State, and Kentucky, and wherever else, uh, North Carolina, it, it's been a blessing. And, you know, to get a chance to work with Vital and Billis and uh, Raftery and Elmore back in the earlier years, Doris Burris, so many great people. It, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful ride. I've been very lucky. It is an interesting phenomenon in Canada, and particularly in the Toronto metropolitan area, that once the Raptors came out of the scene and Vince Carter shows up and the NBA comes to Toronto on a full-time basis, of course, they were originally in the NBA, but that was eons ago. But of the last you know, couple of decades that the Raptors have been around, uh, the, the game of basketball has taken hold in Canada so much so that 
that uh, Ontario area is producing some of the best talent uh, in the league, and a lot of these kids come to the States to play their college basketball. And we've seen the Raptors really start a revolution in basketball and not hockey in, in sending kids to the U.S. Yeah, it, it's been really quite something. I remember as a kid, uh, you know, we had a, a, a hoop on the driveway because I like to shoot, and nobody had that. Like, nobody had that. And now everybody has it. And, and for, you know, for people my age, I can still remember before basketball was in Toronto. I can remember even before baseball, Major League Baseball was in Toronto. But for, like, my kids and their generation, they don't care. They were all here, and, and so they they love basketball as much as baseball and hockey, and in many cases, even more. There's just something about it, whether it's cooler or you get to know the players' personalities more, uh, whatever it is. Basketball is tremendously popular. The Raptors have a huge fan base in the Toronto area and a very large fan base across the country. And That's something about the Raptors and the Blue Jays that's really unique. Um, you know, they're national brands. They, they have a, a fan base of 36 million people to draw on. It's just that some of them live 2,000 miles away. Uh, right. But you see it in television ratings and reflected in, in road games. I don't know if you remember when the Raptors won the championship down in, in, in Oakland, a Golden State. There were tons of Raptor fans in the arena for an NBA finals game. And, and you're right. The, the country, Canada, is producing unbelievably talented players right now. Um, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, R.J. Barrett, Andrew Wiggins, Dylan Brooks, uh, Dwight Powell, uh, Brandon Clark, Tristan Thompson, like just off the top of my head there. Um, I, I remember when you might have one or two Canadians in the NBA, and they were always bench players. Now you've had a couple of first overall picks. You've had some all-stars. Um, it's it's exciting. It, it, it really is. And, and uh, circumstances have kind of conspired against Canada ever being able to put its really best complement of players together for an international event. And the pandemic certainly hasn't helped that right now, but um, I, I'm really hoping for the day one day, whenever that is where uh, we, and I say we as in Canada could throw our best 12 out there and see how far it could take us because there are, there are more Canadians in the NBA than any other country outside the United States. And, and um, they all love each other. They all, you know, play pickup together in the off season. It's just a question of, um, you know, well, this guy had an injury, or this guy's a free agent, and, you know, there always seems to be something getting in the way. But if they could ever get their best 12 together, it'd be a lot of fun. You've called some games. you got many more coming. Um, our Naismith Award, of course, uh, we're keeping an eye on our watch list players and, and many, many others. Dan, a couple of guys maybe that's caught your eye so far uh, on the Naismith list that uh, our fans would be interested in hearing your thoughts on. Well, it's hard to not start with Luca Garza. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, mean, I guess he so. is, Yeah, I mean, they're great. They're really fun. You know, they're going to score an, an incredible number of points this year. And he can go out there and have an off game and go for like 24 and 14. So um, he, he he's the first guy, I think, that jumps out at me. Gonzaga's got three outstanding players in Suggs and Kispert and Timmy. And I think all of them will will get some consideration. The the problem is, you know, when you got three incredible guys on one team, you still only got one ball, and they all share the ball beautifully. But Garza just gets so many of the touches for Iowa compared to what the three guys get. So um, Io DeSumo at Illinois, I think, is a, a magnificent player. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski at Creighton, uh, I love a lot, too. Um, I think it's going to be a great year. I really do. I think it's a strong freshman class. 
Uh, I think it's we're going to have some great games, you know, assuming we get through it, have some great games and have some phenomenal tournament games. Uh, who knows who will win it all? It's not like there's one clear-cut team, but if I had to pick one player, like, you know, it, it, it just has to be, has to be Garza right now. The numbers he's putting up are absurd. When is your next broadcast that we can tune in for? Tentatively, <laughs> it is Thursday night in Lubbock. I am supposed to fly to Lubbock. Uh, you and I are taping this on Monday. I'm supposed to fly on Tuesday. The game is on Thursday. Kansas at Texas Tech. Uh, knock on wood. And then I'm supposed to go home Friday. Um, and I would have uh, a, a few games over the holidays uh, from home. That, as I said, they're going to set up a kit. In my house, I don't think we've gone far enough down the line where I can publicly uh, say, "Here's what I'm doing." But uh, I'm supposed to have a few, uh, few nice games, you know, over the holidays. But the next one for sure is Kansas at Texas Tech on Thursday. Fantastic! We will be tuned in, my friend. Thank you so much for taking time. I know our fans have really enjoyed this. You got it, Bob. Stay well. Stay safe. That's going to do it for this week's edition. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more coming up one week from now. Until then, Bob Rathman from Atlanta saying so long.